Hi everyone, welcome back to At The Source. I'm your host, Alex Ryder. Robert Hunninger is the founder of Humdingers, a catering and events company in central London. They cater for weddings, events, film sets, fashion shoots and more. And whilst this in itself is pretty exciting, and I'm sure Rob has some brilliant stories from the work they've done, what actually caught my attention was that Humdingers have been doing some fantastic work throughout the pandemic. Right from the beginning, when Rob first launched this business, he was always interested in feeding the NHS and working with charities. So when the pandemic hit in March 2020, he took the business back to its roots, opening a bakery and soup kitchen from their base in Hoxton. They're open four nights a week, serving between 800 and 1,000 free hot meals a week. And it's clear from our conversation that this work has fundamentally changed Rob's view on how Humdingers will operate going forward. So in this episode, we chat about the importance of feeding your local community, the early days of running the business, and how Rob plans to grow the bakery and soup kitchen to support vulnerable people all over London in the future. Be warned, we do talk quite a lot about politics in this episode. Hi, Rob. Thanks for joining me today on the podcast. Hi, thanks so much for having me. Let's start right at the beginning. So I want you to tell us a bit about your background. Uh, What were you doing before you launched Humdingers? Yeah, well, it's very hard to remember that far back, to be honest. But it was, um, I mean, I was i was in restaurants. I was in Covent Garden. I was in Orso's. I was in Orsino's. I was in Joe Allen's. And then I went to the Ivy and I tried some other restaurants. And um, I mean, my biggest problem was I was dyslexic. And even though I'd learned the menus off by heart, um, no one would give me head chef role. So I kind of got a bit bored because no one would make me the boss and I thought I was ready to be the boss. So I kind of that's when I kind of got bored and stopped working and then did a bit of freelance working and saw people doing catering and thought, wait a minute, I can do this. And that's when I started um, making cakes and kind of just like, let's try stuff. And then at the time, my, the, the friend, my friend came home and said, what are we supposed to do with all these cakes? So <laughs> I, I rang my friend on Abney, on Church Street in Abney Market, um, Ihan, who was a very, very nice guy. He used to have Booth's Cafe and stuff. And he said he's doing his market this week. I should bring them along and sell them. So I went and did a cake store. I went to my mum's house and stole one of her tablecloths and made it look <laughs> all farmy. And it was very nice. People went crazy for it, and we sold them all out straight away. So I, I then I was like, oh, I'll do this again. And I started making loads of friends, and they were asking me if I would do um, parties for them or just do cakes and this and that. And then I thought, well, I, I, I guess I'll kind of – I found my first kitchen where I went to the back of the Weaver's Arms pub, and I gave the wonderful landlord £50 a week to be there. And it was a big kitchen and it had some equipment and I made it work. And I started a salad and sandwich delivery route for the NHS and for um, like a few charities like Stonewall and um, that there was WAG TV as well and a few other co- companies in Leroy House that we went to. But it was mainly the walk-in centres that we did. And we would feed probably 200 people a day just by going to the walk-in sectors and all the doctors and nurses would come and choose their lunches. And that was that was very nice, and that was the kind of beginning because the PCT decided they didn't want people coming on site without license, well, without their them knowing. So they said we had to cater, and then all the doctors went up in arms, and they decided that they would start ordering our catering. So that was the beginning of the catering. And then when I started that, I decided I would only cook for NHS and um, 
charities. So I was working with, a lot with Naya Project back then, who I'm a really, I think they're an amazing charity. And the way they rehouse people that are in trouble and stuff, it's really... But yeah, then, then we started kind of doing very well. So we got into the... Um, education centre in Euston and in the Royal London and in Barts. And um, we were having a great, I mean, we were cooking for all the doctors and we were doing all the stuff for the drug companies in the chest hospital, what was wonderful. But then, then the recession hit, so we kind of had to change direction and we went into fashion then so our first fashion house was probably alexander mclean but it's um we, we, we've been working with them for probably 10 years now but um like it's kind of grown from there and we're very lucky to have such lovely people that want to work with us as well and that like our food is that a long enough question <laughs> sorry i've gone on a bit no that's fantastic i like it when people go on because i like to hear all of these things but quite a quite a change from going from cooking for the nhs to alexander mcqueen I, well we didn't have much choice um <laughs> and it was it was there was a friend of mine called jackson who was moving to australia and he cooked for one of the studios near us and he said rob you should try this this will really suit you and I was, so we tried it and they loved our food and, you know, we were making great money on it at the time. And it was really exciting to work for companies like where you would kind of be cooking for semi-celebrity people as well. So mm. we were definitely starstruck and it was very nice. And then we did events there as well. And mm. the events really started working well. You know, we did, I did, I did a lot of weddings because I don't do them anymore. I have a wedding coordinator, but um, when I was doing them, I would take them all very personally and I would kind of be up cooking it all the night before. And then I'd be up all day the next day working and working. So I do a 24 hour shift and then pass out for a day and be up the next day. But when you realize how much you were charging people for their weddings, but how much work you were putting into it, it doesn't seem like you were charging enough money. But (laughs) at the time, it was such an honor to make, like to, have a bride smiling at the end and just giving you that wink like thank you you've done me proud and they can see how hard you've worked it's worth it but then Mm. to do a bigger event like we were doing um the dow joan awards and like these were very difficult people at the time but Mm. to get the funds up from them and Mm. get a really nice reception for our fillet steaks and then our vegan options on the day where we did a stuffed mushroom went down a storm and at the time what was probably eight years ago no one did vegan food that was nice so it was it was really nice but you know it's it's gone up and down as a company as things have happened in in, like you know growing in life and what directions we've decided to go in and stuff like that but Mm. we very much enjoy working and um one would say I'm definitely a workaholic. Yeah, but that that well, I've got two kids, so that that needs to stop. So three days a week soon, I'll be going home at three o'clock to have children time. So that that's exciting. That sounds good. So let's rewind right back to when you started running that cake stall. It must have been quite a, a scary decision to go from your cake stall to actually having that premises. Like, how did you know? that it was the right time to take on a, a space? Well, I, I took on a pub kitchen to begin with um, that was really cheap. And the, the landlord, the deal was that they would let, if I did Sunday roasts, they would give it to me for cheap. And then by the end of it, the, the landlord cried when I handed my notice in because we were doing about 150 oh. every Sunday lunch. <laughs> there was a queue out the door for the Sunday race. I mean, I think I was doing them for six quid each. Oh, I'm not surprised 
was a queue. Yeah, well, no, it was a long time ago, but it was kind of Michelin star food quality for just to keep them happy for the cheap rent. And um, mm. that was kind of the first step. But then when they, they gave us notice in the end or started saying that they were going to make a smoking room out of the kitchen... So I started looking for somewhere else, and that's when I found the Rosemary Works. It was like a communal area on Branch Place, just in um, Shoreditch. And, um, you know, I I got a thousand-square-foot warehouse in there, which I converted into into a kitchen. And I was there for five years, I think, or six, and it, it was wonderful. It was a, it, I mean, it was a lot of space, and we cooked some really nice food there. And we were very lucky to be able to get that space so the company could grow. And that's what worries me about businesses today because mm. you can't get spaces like that anymore, and everything's been turned into flats, so you can't really mm. get anywhere where you can start your dream. And then, you know, with, with the landlords and stuff, they, don't, they, they won't take anyone new on. So it, it just it makes it very hard. And signing leases and solicitors, it's just waiting six months for a lease. It seems ridiculous, but they that's what I'm doing now and that's what I did to get this place. So And then to really re-sign the lease here, it's a nightmare for small businesses because they don't want to give you a new lease, but you're entitled to that. So they just take as long as they can. And it is, I mean, the stress levels you get just from having to renegotiate the rent after five years. And then, then um, you know, when it's over, you're entitled to another 10 years, but then they try and slip something in. So it all costs a lot of money and it's a lot of stress. And I kind of wish the renting world could just be mm. simple. It must be difficult for small businesses that are wanting to make that first leap that actually for you was relatively easy because you went in through the pub. But how how do you in a in a world that's mm. so complicated and expensive mm. take that leap from perhaps baking cakes in your mum's kitchen to having your own space? Tricky. Well, it was my first flat that I started baking the cakes in, but yeah. <laughs> It's a lot of fun. In those first years, what were the the highlights of, of running that business? It was exciting. Every job we did was exciting. And to be honest, at the beginning it was it kind of it, it was wonderful. Um, because we were cooking for people we believed in. We were cooking for trainee doctors, trainee nurses. We were cooking for the receptionists. We were using our space in Hoxton at that time to have the training here and have the the kind of dentist meetings here from the area and stuff. It was, I mean, we worked very closely with the NHS um, and with charities to make, like, at that time, that's kind of what brought what we're doing now on because when we went into fashion and we didn't do so much of that, it kind of, there wasn't any of the give back. Yeah. And it was all about how much money we could make. And we need to get to that golden amount of, you know, two million a year. And then, then, then you'll make some real money and all of it. And you get to that amount and it's kind of like empty. And it's kind of, no, this, this, this wasn't what it was about. So we got to that. Then there was this, then we start, then I started feeling bad about the whole, well, not feeling bad, just feeling kind of like I'm, I didn't want this to be this way why didn't we stay kind of more giving back and stuff and then I just decided to start a soup kitchen because we'd been feeding people soup through the churches for years but they decided to close their doors so we decided to I don't know we decided to take on the soup kitchens ourselves and carry on doing them 
people were asking for them and they knew that we give, gave the food to the soup kitchen. And Barbara and Annette, who worked at the soup kitchen in the church, came over and volunteered and worked the first lockdown with us. That's amazing. So this was March 2020, which was when you, yes. so at the start of the pandemic. Well, the thing is, my wife predicted this in January when we saw the thing in China on the news. So, and my wife's a speech and language therapist, an extremely intelligent woman. She explained what's going to happen and she said, you need to lock down. Mm. And at that time, that's when I started thinking, okay, we need to do something because people are going to get desperate here. Yeah. And I had no idea that the churches and the charities would all close. I mean, I thought I, I was just, I couldn't believe what was going on. There wasn't any food for anybody. And with, you know, literally... The, the, the idea of doing this thing just had so much demand. We had to do more. And um, we, we were buying things in by the pallet load and um, our Albion Fine Food was sending us pallet loads of, of vegetables and stuff to make soup out of. And we, we've had a lot of help from suppliers who've really helped us. But um, it, we didn't mean to kind of make it this much or do this much, but it's just with demand and with people being so hungry and needing help and at the same time making bread, you know, it turned into kind of longer work than you normally did, but I really enjoyed it. And, you know, giving back just reminded me of the beginning of Humdingers, what made me think, okay, this is the way forward. Yeah. That, you know, you need to have purpose in life and you need to feel good about what you're doing. Being money grabbing doesn't work. It just makes you feel empty eventually. So I think if you give a lot back and then at the same time, hopefully make a profit, mm. everybody around you, you get to know and you make friends. And it literally, since I've started doing this, I know everybody on the street. And I knew a lot of people, but it was people I'd kind of stay away from that look a bit threatening or whatever. And now they're all really good friends. And it just seems silly that I, did, I had that barrier up before that didn't make me you know, to reach out to people. You just say, hey, what's happening? You know what I mean? Come in, have a free coffee. There's no hard feeling. It's like Ronnie, who used to come for free coffee, coffee every day, has just disappeared off the radar. Um, but then I hear he's in hospital, but then I hear he might have passed away as well. So it's, it's kind of like you, you, all these people that you meet, and then if you lose one of them, it's kind of quite a shock for the system as well. So, you know. Yeah, no, I can imagine. I mean, it, it's incredible that you chose to set up the soup kitchen at a time when hospitality and food and drink businesses were worrying about their survival. You know, and and presumably your business was was struck hugely. I was awful, and I've spent lots of the house money on this project. My goodness, what my wife isn't happy about. But um, at the same time, there's responsibilities. And um, it's kind of, this is all I can do. And I've got people who are kind of family on the front line and doing the best that they can to make it work. And I was in a situation where this is all I could do. I mean, I, it was like, this is, this is what we do. We make food. So at least we can do is, is pass out some free hot food and see how cheaply we can do this. And, and about like even the how many times to fold the bread. And, you know, I can make some rather good sourdough now. So I'm quite happy about that. So overall, I think it was a learning curve. But I did part of me thinks, oh, I should have stayed at home with the children and the wife and all of that. But then at the same time, I think they understand why we did this because there was so many people 
that you can see it from our flat as well in Dalston. It was, it was, it, I mean, it was, it was just desperate. You know, and especially with, you know, with the kind of hostels and stuff, you know, it was, it, it, it really was desperate. And, you know, you can't keep people in a hostel for 24 hours a day. Mm. But, you know, it's, it's a shame the way um, things are at the moment with the housing situation. But, you know, I've been screaming out rent control or something on all houses or all rental properties. But, you know, I, again, this is all politics and all of that and i should just stay out of it because i don't know all the rules and all of this but you know it's it's it seems like the people in parliament all have a lot of flats <laughs> that's all i have to say <laughs> yeah no you're speaking to the right person here i'm i'm absolutely with you yeah. and i think you know as much as we you know we're in the food and drink world but politics is everywhere and it is mm. it is in everything we do and and you know of course it comes up especially with the work that you've been doing through the pandemic you're seeing the people on the front line who are struggling can you tell me and the listeners at the very height of the pandemic what a typical day would have looked like for you um, working in the bakery and in the soup kitchen? Uh, it was 4am. I would come back and fold my bread um, and I would start basketing up the, the bread for the next day. So you had to leave it for 24 hours, but then I'd mix it and then do a fold, go home and sleep for six hours and then come back. My goodness. It was it was a lot of work. I mean, keeping this place, we, we've got, we usually got 25 people here and four of them are cleaning constantly to keep it above how we need it, you know. Yeah. So for us to do that and to make the bread and to have the flour everywhere and to kind of keep it going, it was me and, like, one other friend that basically did it. So it was a lot of work. But, um, yeah, we it was, you know, it was it was just desperate times to try and keep it going. But, yeah, you, I think you just need to grin and bear it and kind of carry on going and just, you know, make sure that, at the end of this, you're still standing, and I think that's what we've done. Really, you know, we've we've. I would say we've got a successful bakery now that's going to spread across London hmm. and um, have a soup kitchen at each one. Yeah, that would be really brilliant. Yeah, I mean, I, I, what I want Humdingers to mean to people is when they see them sign Humdingers, they know between five and seven they can get free food. And and I, I just think someone needs to stand up and actually think with their head instead of with their wallet. And I just, I, I've, I've, I've had enough of, you know, I was so proud when we had the last Labour government in because there wasn't any homelessness. Well, there was very few. And now, like I, I, I would deliver to Gucci before the pandemic, and I would um, walk down. I would leave, leave. I would go there in a taxi, leave the food, and then walk back. Um, it was my exercise plan, but I would take like twenty pound in pound coins, and I'd give a pound to everybody that I saw on the street on the way back. Now, this wouldn't get me to pick. Piccadilly Circus from Bond Street, and that—that's—that—that's—that that's, that's, to me is screaming out a real problem. I just—I just don't think the way things are run in this country and the way people can own a hundred flats and charge maximum rent for them all, like eight hundred a week for eight hundred a month for a one-bedroom studio flat. It just—I just—I just don't see where the hope is for young people anymore. And I, I think something needs to be done, but. Yeah, again, I shouldn't talk about politics because I don't know enough about it. <laughs> no, it's, um, it's exactly the same here in Bristol. I mean, rent is 
absolutely crazy now. Yeah. Absolutely crazy. It's not far off London prices. And you think, you know, if someone living on minimum wage, how how are they supposed to to pay the living costs, you know, when it, this landlord is just potentially owning several different houses. And it's a whole conversation that I could get into with you over a beer, 100%. Oh, totally, yeah. But so let's let's take it back to Humdingers. So, so alongside the soup kitchen, Humdingers was during the peak of the pandemic also feeding the NHS. Yeah, that was that was the crippling part. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, an incredibly fantastic thing to do. And again, potentially at the expense of, of the business. But I just want to know how you did it all. Well, yeah, half of it was on GoFundMe and right, half of it right. was out of my pocket. Oh, my goodness. But then um, through, I mean, I got some phone calls because I had COVID over Christmas, so I was stuck wow. inside 14 days. And um, because I didn't go for the test straight away, I had to stay in for an extra two days or something. But um, I had some phone calls from doctors that used to be clients say, or that were clients or, or you know, before um, InterServe turned up and bought all the building and said that you have to spend money with us if you want cheap rent. But um, I, 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 they gave me calls and said, look, we're, well, there's no food at night here. It's We're in dire need. My sister's an ethnotist at the London. She was complaining about the food. And um, I was stuck inside and I was going crazy and I thought it was a really good idea to cook for them all. So we did... 480 meals a day wow. for two months. And, um, yeah, no, it was it was a lot of work and there was a lot of tears and there was a lot of, um, you know, there was a, there was a you know, we made it work and uh, the containers were the expensive bit and no one seemed to care. Like all the people that we get containers off, I was trying to get a couple of thousand for free and they just wouldn't give us any. So it was, it was, it was expensive, but um, at the same time, hugely rewarding. And I mean, these guys are heroes. I mean, like literally it's, I just could not believe the photos that I was seeing of the meals that they were being given, and it was it was it was instant mashed potato. Mm. I'm sorry, but if this person's saving my father's life or saving someone's life, they deserve potato. Yeah, you know actual I mean? potato. Yeah, yeah. No, but, you know, actual vegetables, actual things. And the thing is, you can still microwave these meals, and you can still. It's, but it's it, it, the difference was delicious meals, and. Um, that's what I think we got across, and that was the whole thing. I, I mean, again, you know, when my wife found out how much money I borrowed from the savings account from that, she wasn't happy. But again, she's given me a year to pay it back, so I'm sure I will. <laughs> <laughs> she must be incredibly proud, though, of, of what no, you No, no, my wife's amazing. Mm. And um, to be honest, without her, I don't think I'd get through this. And my kids are as well, like... Um, Georgia and James are eight and five and they're just a bundle of joy and it's fun every minute you're at home. And um, little lady, little man and a, and a very supportive wife that makes this all happen. So, you know, most people wouldn't wouldn't let their husbands work like this. And the fact that she saw that I, <laughs> I, I kind of had this thing that I had to do and 
you know, I, I had a chat with her before I did it and she was like, you know, I see that you've got a lot of passion to do this, so I understand you can do it. Mm. So I did ask permission, but then mm. I didn't think she she realised how much I meant. So <laughs> <laughs> so what kind of food were you cooking for the NHS? Oh, it was pies, sea bass. I mean, they, they wanted more comfort food. We were doing like grilled sea bass and stuff and half mm. vegan foods. But um, it was that we, we, we went comfort food. So things like macaroni cheese and, mm. you know, there was grilled chicken and there was all bento boxes with sides in. And then there was, um, we did some grab and go sandwiches as well and we did cakes every day so we did like 450 480 cupcakes or cakes every day so yeah i mean like yeah i mean it changed each day really we we we, we practiced all our new menus on the nhs <laughs> so, that's, yeah. quite, that's quite a good idea quite ingenious well i mean we, we had to pay for it somehow and it was my idea for getting it through the books because my accountants was sending me nasty emails for a little while but this is why we're doing this <laughs> so when things did and are now starting to open up again you've already tested a lot of dishes and ideas so you know that yeah no we're, 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 we have been cooking luckily um we've been very lucky to get some work with with some you know some shoots and some some jobs and like we're really excited to work for more people but uh you know at this time the you know with the bakery with this with with the food bank i mean it's busy it's really busy there's no time like it's but it's exciting and, you know, mm. what we're doing and especially with the multiple food banks opening, I think we could change London. I think you could make it so there weren't any children that had excuse to be saying that they were hungry at night, you know. So hopefully we can feed as many people as possible. And we were doing pizza nights as well. So that's other things that we could do again. So so just out of interest, how many people would be in the kitchen cooking? You know, you're saying there that so you were doing sometimes up to a thousand meals in the soup kitchen well that would be me for the first one that was me and brian brian just like brian was like he was like i'm volunteering i don't care <laughs> so i was like all right fine. Wow. so him and me stayed and we basically yeah no i mean he he, he comes in early too but we basically we, we basically smashed it i mean he's usually the warehouse manager but we had a great time we you know we danced we smiled we we made mm. food and we helped people and then we had people like leah who was a 14 year old girl that um was like really bored at home and we you know her mum came and volunteered in the soup kitchen and um she came and made cakes for me like literally it's so clever and like better than some chefs i've worked with it was really embarrassing but she was making <laughs> big batches of cakes and um yeah no she comes on saturdays and um she's an asset to the company and she's really clever so wow. we'll see what she's going to be but um yeah no she she comes and does four or five hours and when, when she has time and makes a cake or she's been working with the chefs next door so prepping food and stuff you know at the same time as people were helping because they saw what we were doing so we we did get help the volunteers were i mean the volunteers in the first one barbara and annette i don't think we could have got through it without them you know but you know now we mix the volunteers so we have different volunteers each night so it's um never always the same people so it kind of makes it fair for i mean just different for everybody but what we wanted to do with the soup kitchen it wasn't about any religion or any you know it's for everyone and it means if you've got a million quid if you, you know everyone everybody can eat this food 
You know, it's 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 there to make a difference. And if you're hungry, you don't have to be hungry yeah. on Hoxton Street. So as things begin to return to normal and hopefully some of that lost business is returning. What are your plans? Do you think that you will continue running the the soup kitchen alongside the the day job? Yeah, no, I'd like to have one in every borough, to be honest. Um, So if there's shop owners listening and who want to give me a good little lease, (laughs) uh, like every borough in London, if someone's got a good space or even a small 500 foot space where I can stick a bakery and a coffee machine that will pay for the soup kitchen to go there, you know, I would like to have multiple shops. The, the, The fact that there's poverty in London concerns me. It just really concerns me. I I mean, if you could do this in every town, you know, eventually, you know, know, make it actually so it's owned by the people who run it. So everybody who works there get a piece of, you know, I mean, I like John Lewis, but say there's no shareholder or something like that. If I can make it that big and then give it to the people, so it has to be run like that and it's not made and the people aren't getting caught with a million pounds to run it, then, you know, I don't know. I don't want to be like, oh, well, I won't see any charities. Mm-hmm. But yeah, no, you know what I mean? It's such a shame that in a first world wealthy, you know, because we are a wealthy country, that we are reliant on goodwill and charities and organisations like yourself to feed our own communities. There's something fundamentally wrong with our country that that is the situation. Well, I would I would say the fundamentally wrong thing is we all they all vote conservative. Yeah. <laughs> but again, I shouldn't talk about politics. No. That's probably something my mum would have said if she was alive. I mean, on that front, we had this great chance with Jeremy Corbyn. I know so many people didn't want him, but what he could have done for this country would have been amazing. You know, it's just, it brings a tear to the eye that we've lost that. Yeah, yeah. I really, I, I saw the first time I saw the people coming together and I got really excited. And then the second time I just saw everybody going the other direction and it really upset me. And yet the Labour Party are now blaming Corbyn for, for their failings now when he's not even been around. I mean... Exactly, and it's it's like it's like blaming Arsene Wenger for the failings now. <laughs> you know, it's ridiculous. It Arsene. is. It's absolutely ridiculous. You know, I just, I just, I had so much hope for the country, and so much hope for the whole situation that the way it's gone now, I just don't see a way forward. I mean, I I've been working for the last sixteen years like a dog, and I can't afford a big house. Yeah. You know, we want a house with a garden where the kids can get a dog and run around. And, you know, I can't get that near my work. So it's annoying. Mm, mm. It's really annoying. And I've, I've, I'm not irresponsible with money, I say. But it's, it's down to, the, you know, the whole situation with, you know, rents and the rest of it. Something needs to be done. And the MPs just aren't doing anything. It's so annoying. But sorry, again, I can't talk about politics. So We keep saying that, but we definitely keep. Coming back to it, yeah. but um, well, I mean, the problem with the country is all the problems are down to the government. A hundred percent, I hundred percent agree with you. I, I'm quite vocal on my social media. Yeah. I try not to be. I try. I really try not to be. <laughs> I'd say, especially being dyslexic, you write it wrong or something. It seems stupid, you know. <laughs> we're in the same. We're in the same gang here. Um, I actually can't. I cancelled my Labour membership recently. 
<laughs> what's next for Humdingers? Anything exciting? What's next? Um, well, that's I'd like a bakery. In a, um, I'd like to grow the bakery, but only to have our own shops. So the profit from the bread and the coffee, a part of that will go to running a soup kitchen. So there won't be that. But then, you know, I've got dreams for the catering still, and I've got amazing chefs downstairs. So I'd like to do big banquets and you know i'd like to cook in the banqueting house and the you know the royal palaces and stuff like that that's where i'd really like to cook i wouldn't like to pay anybody's school fees either so i don't really want to have to have to bribe my way in so i want to do it on credit i don't want to do it on who i know and that's the way it seems to be so i don't know if i will go into that but you know we're very lucky to have the clients that we've got and we hope that they all come back you know at the same time it's it's we're going to be making delicious food so i don't think we'll have a problem selling it do you think it's safe to say that the pandemic um has fundamentally changed your attitude towards how you run the business because it certainly sounds like it was almost an epiphany moment for you yeah no i think it was um I think I, I think it was at the same time it was coming. So if if, if you know, I, I was feeling like I wanted to go back. I was feeling like I wanted to cook for charities. I was feeling like I wanted to. It's it. it I, I was very proud of who I was cooking for, but it was what was I doing for the people? At the same time, you know what we can do for the people now, especially mm. if you use our services, is make it. Re- I mean, we can do a lot more. So let's hope it turns into a really big company and then we can just run it the right way, if you know what I mean. It's, 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 you know, it's all about kind of showing people that you can do it a good way and make a profit. I mean, since when we started the soup kitchen, we called out quite a few people and they've all started doing stuff. So, you know, the more, the bigger we get, the more cheeky we can get. Yeah, absolutely. You do it on Twitter. You're like, what have you done today? Just making profits, I see. You know, you can, like, Lord Sugar would love that, wouldn't he? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I, I really think that there's, that, that, that you need to kind of, when people aren't giving back and they're just worried about how much money they're making, that's when you call them out. All these staff have worked for you for five years and you haven't given them one bonus. You count every chip that you use. You know, it's just it, there, there, there's there's a certain thing that you need to make people feel like they're wanted and they're needed at the yeah. same time as you need to be kind to the people that work with you, but make it clear not to take advantage. But you're very lucky to to be in this situation, and the fact that the big restaurants are kind of taking more and more away from the people that work there, and the big chains seem to be doing that, and then. You know, the, the chefs that they're getting in aren't really chefs. They're kind of, you know, stick it in a bag and boil it. And it's 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 a shame that we're not we're not getting the cooking like we got in the nineties. It sounds to me like working somewhere like Humdingers would be fantastic because there is that passion and that very positive ethos coming from the top. It's it's a very yeah. different situation to working for a large chain or yeah, a company that's all about the profit and burns their staff to the ground and then starts again because turnover is so high in, in this industry because people do get burnt out. I mean, turnover is high here as well. But I mean, I think it's just people don't always see themselves lasting more than a year or doing two years in a catering. But we, we're very lucky to have the, a few of the guys that we've 
we've had a long time. But I, I see what you're saying that it's it's a, it's a quick turnaround. But I do I do think that the more people that we can keep interested and all of that, the the better, you know. But um, it's hard as well because you need to make hard decisions, especially with people that we let go. Yeah, it's you know. There was things that we just couldn't afford. And there was Gerard, who was the head chef last year, that, you know, he's a good guy. He's a really good guy. But, um, we, you know, he was my mentor. It, it was awful to do it. But um, at the same time, the you know, it was too much money. We weren't in a situation where we could afford it. And, uh, you know, carrying on there, we needed to restart the company. And, you know, it would have crippled us. So, we, you know, he hadn't been here long, so we had to make him redundant. It wasn't nice making anyone redundant. So having to make those decisions isn't here. That's the worst part about running your business is making the wrong decisions or people not working out and fighting or, you know, it's very hard keeping 25 people happy. And I guess that's my job, to make the place run properly. I've got to make everybody happy. Well, it doesn't always work. <laughs> no, no, but that's the same everywhere. So um, so you talk about this vision and this idea of there being soup kitchens and bakeries in, in every borough of London and, you know, really wherever they're needed, which, let's face it, is is everywhere. So if someone is listening right now and they think, I'd like to get involved with that, or actually, I've got some space. What should they do? Get in touch. Show us the space. Let let let's let's show um, Studio Yule, who's been designing our spaces. Who's Richard? Who? Um, I mean, he's a very talented boy, but or man, sorry. But what you can do there is, uh, you know, we can design what we could do, show it to the person, and then take it from there. I mean, what we'd want is we'd want at least some reliability that you'd be able to stay there, so you couldn't turn it into a space and then you get kicked out straight away. Obviously, rent would have to be paid and all of that. But we we, we are looking to start this soup kitchen in in every borough, but at the same time get get the bread going and the pastries and have wonderful coffee there as well that can pay for that the idea with each bakery was to do a triple eight so you would have kind of eight three key people that would get eight percent of the profits of the bakery that they work in so it kind of keeps them there and makes sure that the soup kitchen goes ahead that's ways of doing it and then you get in a pension as well that isn't useless like the smart pension that the government have put in <laughs> it sounds fantastic but no I've got, I've got a dream i'd love to have it everywhere i mean like I'd, I, I'd like to get to the stage where the soup kitchen's not needed anymore. But ideally, we could do pizza. We could do things that would really get the young kids to come and eat with us. But we can do pizza and hide vegetables in it, you know. We're very <laughs> clever. <laughs> Brilliant. I wish you the absolute best of luck. This is all stemmed out of me spotting you guys on social media. So, Robert, thank you so much for your time. It's been amazing. And I will make sure that all of this information is on the show notes and there's links to what you guys are doing. And We're actually doing a GoFundMe page for our new soup kitchen. So Fantastic. We'll get that up there as well then. All right, have a wonderful day. Thank you very much.